be wondering what my plan is for the rest of this very bizarre year that has been and is 2020, so here is what I'm going to do. I've received a number of questions from some of you, and as we move towards the end of the year, I'm going to answer those questions as best as I can. And when I'm through the questions, my aim is to take a bit of a breather from the podcast as I plan for 2021. I will give you more details on that as we go, but I can say that I have some very cool ideas um, and I'm very keen to share them with you. What's great about the questions I've been asked is that they come from various directions and that means we're going to be exploring a lot of different territory, from questions about the plague, personality, politics, media and technology, mimetic theory, theology and a number of other things um, that I've tackled on this podcast no two episodes are going to be even remotely the same, which should be fun. To kick us off, I'm going to start with a question from Tim, who asks, what are your thoughts on the technological and corporate invasion of the home? I figured I'd start with an easy question just to get us going. The simple answer, of course, is that I don't think this invasion bodes well for the human future, but there has to be more to it than that, so here is a short take on some of the details of what I've been thinking along these lines. One of the things I pointed out a while back at the start of the COVID pandemic is that many of us have experienced the pandemic as a kind of home invasion, where everything happens in the home, mediated, of course, by the digital realm. But this home invasion, this implosion of the world to fit within the most intimate of our spaces is an exaggeration of something that has been happening since the dawn of electronic media. Although with the rise of the internet, this happening has increased its reach and influence in startling ways. Remember that in the simple act of flicking a switch to get a light to turn on, the distinction between what is going on inside the home and outside is blurred. Day and night become irrelevant and time easily gets reduced to pure immediacy. Even in answering a telephone, allowing for a voice from outside the home to enter into the home, space and time collapse. What we have now seems on the surface to be a world of absolute consent, where we apparently get to choose exactly what to engage in, what to stream, download, watch and so on, what we allow into our home. This absolute consent, this idea that there is no dimension of life that we do not get to freely choose, is arguably the great illusion of our time. Electronic media nurture a Gnostic realm that operates against embodied being, such that it becomes easier to adopt modes of thinking and believing that work against nature. I don't think this is a new problem, of course. People have often set up ideals that do violence to life itself, but electronic media definitely enhance this possibility. But in addition to this, one of the more brutal results of electronic media, and especially its digital manifestations, concerns me the most. Electronic media set up the world along the lines of erasing all reflective distance and awareness. If everything gets reduced to pure immediacy, and this is exactly what has happened, very little to no room is left for people to step back and ask important questions like, is this true? Is this good? And what will the consequences of this or that thing be? Again, it's this obliteration of reflective distance that worries me the most. 
to understand the stakes of how corporations, and I would say governments too, invade the home, we need to understand this dimension of electronic media. If reflective awareness is erased, human freedom is annihilated. If fewer and fewer people have the capacity to look up from their immersion in a particular strategically arranged world of pings and promotions and program options, the result could be alarmingly detrimental. I do not see many signs that things are greatly improved by our access to more data than any people in any previous era. I don't see any proof that life is made better because I get to choose between watching one form of narrativized human corruption over another form of narrativized human corruption. The warning I would offer is this, if anything becomes an idol, it will demand tribute. I think of that story in the book of Daniel about the king Nebuchadnezzar who sets up an idol and says that if anyone does not bow and worship this idol, they will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Well, eventually, sooner or later, everyone becomes a victim of the idol when it gains too much power. It seems to me that electronic media have become idolized in many ways. Remember, this doesn't have to happen at a conscious level, not even consensual level. Idolatry is less willful belief than a question of how we live. If you want to know what people really believe, look at what they do. And more and more people are becoming utterly dependent on their devices. They act into a kind of addictive, idolatrous relationship with their devices. What's become increasingly clear now is that corporations have seized this natural function of electronic media and capitalized on it. This happens, as many of you already know, in remarkably sinister ways, as we've seen, for example, through the espionage of Edward Snowden and as played out in Netflix documentaries like The Great Hack and The Social Dilemma. More and more, politicians, governments and corporations use algorithms that seem to favor individuals for the sake of private or corporate gains that have nothing to do in reality with the desires of those individuals or their needs for that matter. This is one of the great tricks of the medium. It generates the feeling of choice, the feeling of reflective awareness without allowing actual choice and actual reflective awareness. The YouTube algorithm is quite interesting as an example. It will show you things that it predicts you will like on the basis of what you have watched before. It still gives you options though. So now you get to feel like you made a choice, decided that you would watch this thing over something else, but in the end, true reflective awareness is nowhere in the equation. And a person can easily just follow a rabbit hole down, down, down until they end up in wonderland, that is, in a place that is totally unreal. Rabbit holes are inevitable until you decide to step away, to not watch anything, or perhaps if you decide to look for something that doesn't fit into the given paradigm set up by the algorithm. Much is said about the way that social media generate echo chambers. And certainly what this means is that we have to find ways out of the realm of pure agreement, which is identical to the realm of pure solipsism. What is not widely discussed, however, and I think this is something we need to pay attention to, is that solipsism makes people incredibly vulnerable to exploitation. If a person goes about believing everything is about them, they will be oblivious to how their tools are manipulating them. Tools of ideology, politics, consumerism, and the like. So, now factor in the way that governments and corporations capitalize on this algorithmic rabbit-holing and the way that 
immediacy has conquered reflective awareness. Nowadays, it's not just that you are choosing what you consume, it's that corporations and governments enter into the algorithm itself and wield it to show you things that in the end really only suit them. Advanced AI is used to predict how to shape your life all while you are under the impression that you are the one in the driving seat. Again, it is worth watching documentaries like The Great Hack and The Social Dilemma, although I do have two problems with these documentaries that I think everyone should be aware of. Both tend to miss two essential things. The first is that they tend to suggest that people have more control over the media than they usually do. And this goes for governments and corporations too. The second is that they tackle problems with such media in jarringly superficial ways, treating them as material problems merely, rather than as disruptions of the spiritual dimension of being. On the first problem, I've already suggested that we start with the medium itself before we consider the message. I like electronic technologies and see immense benefits to living in the digital age, but overextending such technologies and giving them more and more reach in our lives will only produce fragmentation. This is what the medium itself does. When you build the Tower of Babel, you will end up with everyone being incapable of understanding each other. This is less a function of specific messaging than it is a function of the medium itself. On the second problem, it's important to properly interrogate the way that digital technologies themselves are solutions to a spiritual need. At this point, I'm actually going to inadvertently answer another question I was asked by Patrick on this point. I'll get to Patrick's other questions in a later episode. Patrick asked me about this issue, and it will help to understand some of my thinking around this. St. Augustine posits that we always desire the good. And this means that our fundamental nature is to desire salvation and wholeness. We really do want those things, but owing to our corruption, we often mistake certain things for the higher goods that they represent. Sin makes it very easy to substitute lesser goods for greater goods at every level of life. So naturally, quite automatically as part of our given being, we will feel our own needs like we feel hungry but sometimes to deal with a spiritual hunger we may reach for the spiritual equivalent of junk food rather than reaching for the real thing as i see it the rise of electronic media and the rise of digital media have correlated strongly with an increasing spiritual poverty which indicates to me that at least to some extent electronic media widely function as a substitute good it is not bad to want to work with electronic media like I'm doing right now as I record this podcast, but it is far from a neutral activity. When this substitute good is given too much weight, when it is overvalued for its power, we will end up missing better goods. Human beings struggle always with proportions, and the difficulty we are faced with is precisely a difficulty of proportions. Disproportion tends to multiply and result in further disproportion. So while there are material solutions to the problems posed by political and consumerist uses of electronic media, the best solution must be one that is spiritually and metaphysically grounded. It must be a theological solution. We need a stronger commitment to virtue. We need reflection and prayer as antidotes to the idolatry of electronic immediacy, and we need a robust 
theology, I would say, especially a symbolic one, to be able to see clearly what is going on in the world today as a result of the new media invasion. This is something I'm going to touch on in the next episode when I look at how the virus functions as a symbol in our time, obviously in response to another question. A lot more can be said in answer to Tim's question, but here's the summary version. The thing that worries me is not just corporate and political uses of technologies, but primarily the pervasiveness of the technologies themselves. They weaken already weak ontological resources within ourselves and in fact contribute to the spiritual poverty of our time. The trouble has to do with how attention itself gets hijacked. And we should remember that attention is really our best spiritual resource. Without a reflective prayerful awareness, without attention to embodied faith, humanity has very little, almost nothing to use against the onslaught of the new media invasion. And then even less when that does get used by corporations and governments to manipulate us. All signs are that wherever electronic media are most pervasive and most idolized, any hopes for harmony among people are being utterly dashed. But is there hope? Very briefly, I think there is. One thing that is becoming overwhelmingly clear is that politicians and corporations are now consistently overplaying their hand. The extent to which people are being blackpilled, totally disillusioned by political solutions, is quite phenomenal, and I would say even quite encouraging, because I think there are better political solutions than the ones that have been lived out over the last, well, 400 years or so. There are signs that a kind of herd immunity is beginning to develop against the new media onslaught. The medium is overheating, and this presents the possibility, as I've said before, of a more incarnational way of living. The possibility, that is, of recognizing the substitute good as a substitute. But I would temper this optimism somewhat. We are standing on a precipice, and we have yet to figure out whether we are about to take off and fly or simply plummet to our doom. There are signs of both possibilities. It seems obvious to me, though, that where greed and power as dominant motivators are given too much sway, the result is definitely going to be a lot of trouble. Where solipsism is merely confirmed as is happening a lot through cancel culture, things are not going to go well for us. So I know that that's not a very optimistic answer, but it is an answer nonetheless, and I hope that you hear in the answer that while I have more than a few concerns, I do see the possibility that people might begin to recognize the difference between simulacrum salvation and the real thing.